Well, hey, welcome to Grace this morning. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, okay? Um, I know we have so many really good guys in this church who love their wives so much that uh, I know you ladies, I'm sure you woke up this morning to, you know, soft kisses and hugs and cuddles. And, uh, and then I'm sure, you know, there were flowers involved and he probably served you breakfast in bed while you were there. And then you didn't have to get the kids ready today because he took care of everything, you know, for that and for church. Like that's how it usually goes, right, on Valentine's Day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dang, okay. Now for me, I mean, I wasn't able to do that for my wife this morning because I had to get here early and, you know, I didn't want to wake her up or bother her. And so, you know, I wasn't able to do that. But the day's not over, okay, guys? All right, don't forget that, all right? If you, you know, if it hasn't, maybe you got off on the wrong foot, you still got, you still got hours left in the day to make, to turn this ship around, okay? So I encourage you to do that. Uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up our series in uh, the story of Ruth, a short, tiny little story that we find in the Old Testament that happens to be a love story, all right? It wasn't intended that way that we'd be finishing this up on Valentine's Day. It just sort of happened. How convenient, right? All right, so cool. Um, maybe everybody will be, you know, in the mood to, to really, you know, dive deep with their emotions this morning, but maybe not, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe God, that was God's thing. But hey, uh, so this is what we're going to do this morning. All right, we're going to take this story. We're going to recap the story because some of you guys have missed some weeks. Okay, so we're trying to get everybody on the same page. And then we're going to talk about the part of the story, the ending of the story that we haven't talked about yet. And then we're going to go back and recap the story. Okay, and look at it from like bird's eye view angle. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, all right. Thank you. Um, whoa, stool. All right. Um, so here we go. This story, it begins... Uh, with, this, with this Jewish man, his name is Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, who have two sons that are living in Israel. They're Jews, they're Israelites, uh, that's where they live. They're part of God's people that we find, in, that we see in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but for some reason, they decide to leave Israel and move to this land, this nation nearby, right next to Israel, called Moab. Now, historically, these people, the Moabites, the people who live in Moab, they are so evil and so bad that God has told the Israelites, to never associate with them, okay? They're never supposed to be with them. They're not supposed to do business with them. They're not supposed to go into their territory. They're not supposed to intermarry with them. Like, they're not supposed to have anything to do with these people from Moab. And Lemelech moves his whole family there, okay? Direct violation of what God has told them to do. And so a few years go by, Lemelech ends up dying, and uh, Naomi is left raising these two, their two sons on her own, a few more years probably go by and, and they make another bad decision where both of these two sons end up marrying two Moabite women. Again, directly against God. Like everything is in direct violation of what God has told these people to do, but they do it anyway. Right? Ten years go by. Both sons also end up dying. And for Naomi, this is like a 10-year nightmare. It's longer than that, really. This is like a huge nightmare in her life. I mean, think about it. At the end of the story, Naomi, she has nothing. Or at the end of this 10 years, she has, she has nothing. She's in a foreign land. She's got, um, multiple, you know, she's got two daughter-in-laws that she has to try to like, take care of. And, uh, and she's got nothing in common with these people. I mean, the people that she's living around as 
and living with her two daughter-in-laws. I mean, they have different culture, so they have different customs, they do different things, right? They think differently, they worship different gods. I mean, this is just a bad situation for her. Well, then Naomi happens to hear that in Israel, that God is providing food for his people, that they're having a good harvest and stuff like that. It's a, it's a total God thing. And uh, so she, she chooses to move back to Israel, where she originally was from, and to move back home, and she happens to be from this tiny little town called Bethlehem, okay? So she chooses to move back to Bethlehem. Well, she tells her Moabite daughter-in-law, she's like, hey, all right, you guys, all right, you guys go back to your people, all right, it's been real, all right, you know, it's it's been a rough few years, but uh, you guys go back to your family, I'm going to go back to my family, you know, we're just going to break this up right here. And at first, they both don't want to, but then one of them's like, all right, all right, you know, Naomi's like, no, you guys need to go, we're separating. And uh, one leaves and goes back to her family, but then there's one uh, Moabite daughter-in-law of hers that's just like, I'm not leaving, all right, I'm sticking with you, you know, I'm, I'm here through and through, and uh, this is, you know, it's just how, how it's going to be. And so she, remember what she says, she says, my people, or so, sorry, she says, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And Naomi can't get rid of her, all right, she's stuck with her. <laughs> So Naomi and Ruth, they go back to Israel, specifically to this tiny little town called Bethlehem, and they happen to go at the time, at the beginning of the harvest time. Now, when they arrive, all the women, is kind of the whole town's up in a buzz, all the women are talking, it's like, oh, Naomi's back, Naomi's back, this is so great, you know, and everybody's talking about it, and remember what Naomi does? She's like, she's like, whoa, whoa, don't call me by that name, don't call me by, by, by my name. She says, I'm changing my name, you could just call me bitter, right? Not the great situation, right? She blames God for every, all the bad things that have happened in her life. Everything, you know, all these different situations, and the death of her husband, the death of her two kids, and all the bad things that have happened, she's like, it's God's fault. It's not mine. She's not taking any ownership. She's like, it's God's fault. All right, probably the same place where a lot of us have been at some point you know, in our life. Naomi, Naomi is there. And, um, and, and that's kind of where we left off with, with week one. Last week, we talked about how Ruth, she goes to Naomi, and she says, hey, Naomi, do you mind if I go and gather grain so we can have food so that we can live? And this is something that was hard work. Back then, how God had it set up in the Old Testament law for the Israelites was um, a farmer was to go harvest their field, but they weren't supposed to, like, pick the field clean, okay, like what we would generally do today. All right, he would, uh, God told the Israelite farmers, hey, you guys need to go pick most of it, but you need to leave some in the edges and stuff like that uh, for the poor people and the widows. And so Naomi, or so Ruth goes to Naomi and says, hey, can I go pick some of that grain? Like, this is the law, this is the rule. You know, you know I'm, I'm a widow, so I qualify for this. And so um, Ruth ends up going, and, um, and we see this in chapter 2, verse 3. It says, so Ruth left. And she entered the field uh, to gather grain behind the harvesters. And she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Now, there is so much theology packed in to this one little phrase, happened to be. Okay, it's crazy. I can't even explain it all because we don't have uh, much time, you know, enough time. But uh, this, this phrase here. It is so dramatic that, like we looked at last week, it's like, like the author's trying to communicate to us, saying, hey, she just so happened to stumble into this field that belongs to Boaz. And what do we know? Who Boaz was also um, from Elimelech's family. So Boaz is a relative, right? This is, we're looking at this and what we should be thinking 
right, is, hey, what are the odds here? Like, this would never happen. Like, out of all the hundreds of fields that she picks, she happens to pick this one. And then on top of that, this guy happens to be a distant relative. Now, to the Jewish audience, when they see this and they're like, okay, so Boaz is a relative. To them, this signals that there is a romance that is going to get set up. Now, completely different than from us today. Like, we don't think that way. No one, you know, comes and introduces us to our cousin. Like, hey, here's your cousin. We're not thinking, wow, romance, right? We don't do that in Ohio. Maybe West Virginia, I don't know, okay? <laughs> but let's be real, all right? But, uh, but we don't do that, okay? So it's hard for us to relate. Um, and, uh, but, but back then, the Jewish people... Right? They want to marry distant relatives. They want to marry people of the same clan so that their land and everything you know, stays within the same group of families. So she just so happens to pick the field of this guy named Boaz who just so happens to be a relative of her dead husband. And really as the reader, what we are supposed to recognize, what is designed for us to recognize is that God had to have a hand in this. Right? Like, this is impossible. This wouldn't just happen by chance. Like, it's like, what are the odds? And so what we see is that God is weaving the story together for a reason. For some reason. We don't know yet, but we'll find out at the end of today. Um, and the same, same thing happens, right? Not only, so she's there working in her field, and then Boaz shows up. And again, we see the same language. It's Boaz just so happens. It's like, surprise! All right, Boaz just so happens to show up while Ruth is there. And Boaz, he's already heard of Ruth's reputation. He knows of Ruth's humility. He knows uh, that she, how much she has served Naomi. He's impressed by her. And what does Boaz do, remember? Boaz serves Ruth. He gives her more grain than she could possibly eat. She, he helps her out, and at the end of the day... It's crazy because Ruth takes home this huge amount of food, probably a sack of like 50 pounds of grain. I mean, she was set for a while, and she goes home. She lugs this thing, you know, this, all this grain home, and she drops it in front of Naomi, her mother-in-law. And remember, we talked about last week, she also has like her leftover box from, from dinner that, uh, that Boaz had also given her, and she gives that to her. And Naomi's just like, her eyes are bright. I mean, she's like, eyes wide open. She's like, where the heck did you get that? Like, did you steal it? She's probably getting a little worried. You know, where, how, how is it even possible that you would have gotten that much grain? What is going on here? Right? And, um, and, and Ruth, she tells her, she says, well, you know, it was this, it was this guy named, named Boaz. And, and when Naomi, when she hears that Boaz is involved or that she got this at Boaz's field, she recognizes him as a distant family member. And so in, for Naomi, she's like, oh, ding, little light comes on. She's like, oh, man, he's qualified to take care of us. Right? I don't know if he knows that or not, but Naomi Okay, so we see in verse 20, it says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, she says, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or, or the dead. Basically, she's saying, hey, he is not only being kind to us, but he's also being kind to our dead husbands because he's taking care of us. It says, Naomi continued, The man happens to be a close relative, and he is one of our family redeemers. Now, we went through this verse last week. Remember this? But... I pointed out last week that we'd be talking about family redeemers this week. We kind of skipped over that part. So I want to explain exactly what that is because that's kind of key to the whole 
story. Uh, back then, a family redeemer was a man who would actually take care of another man's uh, family. He uh, was a close relative, and usually it'd be the closest the relative or the closest you were related, the more qualified of a family redeemer you were. So like a brother to another man, um, you know, that would be the closest, and usually it would be a brother, but if a guy didn't have a brother, it'd be a relative. And so here's the purpose of a family redeemer. Um, a family redeemer was meant, it was something that was required by law, we see in the Old Testament law, and it was meant to protect women and kids. Okay, so here's the situation. All right, I'll explain this because I know we're all kind of like, what? All right, situation is this. All right, a man, let's say a man has a wife and he's got a few, a few kids and then he dies. All right, but back then, it, there would be no one to take care of uh, the wife and the, and the kids, his family. And so what would happen is they would call in the family redeemer, which would usually be the brother, and if he didn't have a brother, it'd be the next closest relative, to come in and to take care of his family until his sons, the dead man's sons, were old enough to uh, acquire the dead man's inheritance and his property and take care of them and provide for the farm. And then he would take over providing for his mom and the rest of his siblings, okay? So that's how it worked. Um, but sometimes... What happened is a man would die with in you know and he would have a family, but let's say he didn't have any sons. Let's say he just had a wife and some daughters. Okay, well then the family redeemer would have to come in. This gets a little awkward and weird, but he would have to come in and he would have to provide the dead man through the dead man's wife. He would have to provide her and him with an offspring. Okay, a son that could then technically would legally be the dead man's son, not his real dad, which would be the family redeemer. This is getting a little complicated, right? Be the dead man's son's heir, okay, even though he technically wouldn't be his son. It would be his heir to take over his property and to keep the family name going. Does that make sense? No? Okay, a little bit. All right, so it would be like this for Kate and I. Um, This is going to be a little weird. Sorry, Kate. Okay, but I did this first service, and it seemed to work. Um, so it would be like for Kate and I, uh, if I ended up dying, let's hope that doesn't happen, but if I end up dying, all right, the job of the family redeemer, would he would have to take care of Kate and my family. Awesome, good, so everything's taken care of. But let's say I didn't have any sons, okay? Let's say I just had a daughter and Kate. Then, and I don't like this, and I don't want to think about this on Valentine's Day, but he would have to provide me a son through Kate, which is not cool, and, um, and that kid would grow up, and he would inherit my property, and he would take on my name, even though he's not my son. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Don't blush. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to get yelled at. No, just, not yelled at. Just sternly talking. Never mind. All right. Moving on. Happy Valentine's Day. So Naomi gets this. Right? It's like clicking in her head, little light bulb goes off. She's like, whoa, you mentioned Boaz. Boaz happens to be a family redeemer. And so she's like, hey, something could happen here. And so she tells Ruth, she says, hey, you stay in that field, okay? I don't want you going anywhere else. You don't go to another field. You don't go to another guy. You stick with Boaz and you stay in that field. And that's exactly what Ruth does for six to seven weeks throughout the harvest. She's going along behind uh, Boaz's harvesters, and she's picking up all the grain that they leave and that they leave behind. And then after the harvest, again six to seven weeks later, um, the uh, you know Ruth's done. 
right? She, she doesn't have to go anymore. The harvest's over. She's probably, probably her and Naomi have like a boatload of food, maybe more than like Boaz himself. Like it's just crazy. And uh, Naomi comes up with a plan to set them up. Now, have any of you ever tried to set somebody up? No? Nobody? Okay, a few. I see literally one. I saw one, all right? Um, come on, people. Okay, you guys just don't believe in love or what, what's the deal here? Or, or you guys are all taken, maybe. I don't know. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, I've, uh, I've tried a few times, you know, to set some friends up, and uh, it's never worked, okay? I'll be honest. Um, one of the guys that we have on staff, his name's Mike Miller. Okay, he's a pastor. He's, he's not here on, on Sunday mornings, although he has spoken a few times. He's in Fremont on Sunday mornings, but he does our young adult ministries on Sunday nights, so he's here on Sunday nights. But he's single, okay? And there's been time after time where I'm like, hey, Mike, what about her, all right? She's cool. All right, well, you know, she, she seems fun, you know, and I just can't get him to do anything. I don't know. It's, it's all his fault, but it doesn't work. Um, but, uh, but let me just throw this out there. So, so if you know, okay, of anybody looking for a guy, single guy, who's around seven, 27 years of age, six foot one, average build, you know, um, but nice, nice guy, all right, if you want to collab after the service, you know, let's just say we'll get something together and we'll, you know, we can make it work. I'm not, I'm not like saying I'm done trying, so um, I'm going to keep going until he gets married off. The guy needs a woman. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So anyway, he's going to be so mad when he listens to that because I know someone's going to tell him tonight as soon as he walks in. But, uh, but anyway, so this is kind of what Naomi's thinking. She's just like, interesting. He's a relative. You know him, right? You're, you know, th th this might work. And so she comes up with a plan to set them up. And we're about to go through some of the shadiest verses in the entire Bible. Okay, I'm just throwing this out there. It's going to get awkward in here. So if you have your kids in here, you better cover their ears. Um, just kidding, kind of. But uh, we're going to go through some stuff. This is weird. Um, so anyway, all right, Valentine's Day, that helps, maybe. Okay, so... Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, So Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, she said to her, she says, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you? By the way, that's code, that's Hebrew code for you need a man in your life. Okay? She's like, you need, you know, you need to get married. You need to find somebody who's going to take care of you and provide for you. So she says, hey, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? All right? She says, now, isn't Boaz our relative? Again, we wouldn't say that, but back then this is huge. So isn't Boaz our relative? Isn't he a family redeemer? Haven't you been working with this female servant? So you've been working for this, with this guy for weeks, and he's seen you for weeks. And he says, this is, she says, this is what I know, is that this evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, what the heck does that mean? Right, winnowing barley, what is that? You know, basically what that was is they're trying to, you know, you would harvest the wheat and you would try to um, separate the chaff from the grain. Okay, from like the seeds. Yeah, the grain. Okay, at the top. You know, we all know what wheat looks like, right? Barley and wheat are like the same thing. Okay, anyway, so we're on the same page. And so what they would do is they would um, go, they would have a threshing floor, which was basically a place where it was like rocky on the bottom, but usually it would be on top of a hill because it would be windier up there, and you need the wind to make this happen. And so they'd go up to the top of the hill to this threshing floor that they would have dug up or whatever, and uh, the ground's rock so that it's not dirt because you don't want your seed, you know, your grain getting all dirty and stuff. But anyway, so you would put it in a basket, you put your, your grain in a basket, and you just throw it up. Okay, and when it go up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff or like the straw part of wheat. You know, it'd blow that 
away, and then the grain would just fall down. So you do that a million times. I don't know. It sounds like it'd be take forever. You do that like a million times, and then all of a sudden you'd be left with a pile of grain. So they would do this to their whole harvest. Like this was a lot of work. And so Ruth knows that, uh, that he's over there doing this, and he's like, you know, because the harvest is over, so now they're, now they're threshing it, and they're, they're, they're separating the, the grain from the chaff, and uh, a lot of times they did, did this at night, number one, because it, was, it wasn't as hot, but number two, there'd be a slight breeze, more of a breeze in the evening in that area. So she's like, that's where he's going to be. So she comes up with the plan. She says, wash up. Basically, take a shower, all right? Always a good place to start. Take a shower, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Like, we're, you know, get gussied up here, all right? I want you looking good. She says, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, sometimes we look at this and go, okay, so she's like waiting until he's drunk or, you know, what's going on here? He's not seeing clearly or what the deal is, but that's not it, all right? Basically, men are just in a better mood after they eat, okay? Right, guys? Yeah, okay? We just are. It's just fact, all right? It's not like, you know, there's no debating it. It's just how it, just how it is. And so it's just funny to me that, that Naomi, as she comes up with this plan, she's like, key detail, make sure he's done eating, okay? Don't get him before. Make sure he's in a good mood. He'll be in a lot better mood after he's finished eating. Now, this is what she wanted Ruth to do. She says, when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, okay? Now, this is where it gets weird, okay? She says, notice the place where, he li- where he's lying. Basically, make sure you get the right guy. That's huge to this whole plan, Make sure you don't get mixed up or anything. You need to get the right guy. And I want you to go in, and I know, and uncover his feet. And then I just want you to lie down. And then he will explain to you what you should do. Okay. All right. So kind of everybody kind of blushed there for a second. Get that over with. And, um, and we look at this, and it's like super weird. What does this, what does this even mean? Like this is, this is weird, right? Right? Okay. All right. I was like, maybe you guys are into that. I don't know. Got some feet fetish people in here. <laughs> what is going on? Okay. Anyway, um, but, but to the ancient reader, the ancient reader reads this and is just like, they have the same reaction. Right? They're just like, this is weird. What is she saying here? This, I mean, no, this is, their mind goes racing. And actually, if you, the Hebrew words are very sexual, okay? It's just like, it's just like whoa, uh, that doesn't seem right. Like Naomi is telling Ruth to, to, to you know, to go in. And, and this is, you know, it's just, it, it's meant, it's designed really to send the reader going, whoa, you know, this, this isn't right. I don't know what to think here. And, um, and you know, to have that reaction. And uh, my guess is that probably when Ruth hears this from her mother-in-law, you know, she's not from Israel. She's from Moab. She's from a completely different culture, right? And she's probably going, you want me to what? You know, uh, uncover his feet. You know, is that what you guys do? Like, is that a thing? You know, that's what you're supposed to do here. And so probably very reluctantly in verse 5, Ruth said to her, she says, um, <clears throat> I guess I will do everything you say. She's just like, okay, I'll do it. This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't seem right, but I'm just going to try. Okay, I'm just, I'll just do it. So Ruth cleans up. 
right? She takes her shower. She dresses up. She goes to where the men are working. Um, she is hiding in the shadows, okay, which is a little creepy. She's watching Boaz and the guys eat. And uh, Boaz, the Bible tells us, is feeling good, all right? Now, this could be men or women, but in this situation, okay, this was specifically a man. But men out there, all right, you, you kind of know how this feels, right? Like you've had a long day's work. Right, it's been long, but you've got a lot accomplished, okay? You've done a lot of stuff. You're physically kind of beat. You, you know, you have like a late dinner, you know, and, you're, and it's after dinner, and you're getting ready to go to bed, and you just feel good, right? It's just like, man, I, you know, it was, a, it was a hard day, but it was a good day. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, so we've all, we've all been there. And so that's what Boaz is feeling. He just feels good. He's getting ready for bed. And he doesn't know that Ruth is staring at him in the shadows. And, and Ruth, that's what, she's, that's what she's doing. She's hiding behind something. She's staring. She's, she's making sure she's got the right guy because that's key to this whole thing. But, uh, but just for a second, put, your sh- put yourself in Ruth's shoes. Like how would, you, how would it feel to, to be her? This wasn't her idea, right? This is her mother-in-law, her bitter mother-in-law is telling her to do this weird thing, and she's hiding in the shadows, and she's watching Boaz, and, and she wants Boaz to marry her, okay? That's what she wants, and her heart's beating fast, and she's kind of nervous, and she's probably thinking in her mind, she's like, there are so many ways that this thing could go wrong. Like, does Naomi, she, you know, Naomi, she's, she's older, like, maybe this is what they did, you know, a few generations ago, but this isn't what people do now, and, and you know, she, she's nervous, and she's probably thinking to herself, like, what is Boaz going to say? How's he going to react? What's he going to do? Is he going to take advantage of me? What, like, what's going on? And so she waits for him to fall asleep. And then sure enough, the Bible tells us she sneaks up. She pulls the blanket off of his feet. And she lies down. And she waits. All right. So everything's set. She's done everything that Naomi has told her to do. She's just waiting. Next verse. It says, at midnight or sometime later, so just a few hours later, Boaz was startled, okay? Probably because his feet are cold, okay? Literally, that's, that's probably why he woke up. Because, you know, have you ever done that where you're like foot's hanging out and it's like, man, it's cold, you know, whatever. He, he does that. So he turns over and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. Not what he expected. That had never happened to him before, okay? He's just like... Uh, and so he asked the most logical question that you could ask, that you would ask. And he's like, who are you? And why are you here? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. She says, take me under your wing. Now, it's so interesting here because this wasn't part of the plan. Right? Here's Ruth. She's kind of going rogue from Naomi's plan. She's not following it exactly. She was supposed to sit there and wait and, uh, and you know, and, and, Boaz was supposed to tell her what to do. But here she, you know, kind of, she takes it under her own responsibility. She says, hey, Boaz, I'm Ruth. And she says, take me under your wing, which is basically marry me. Hey, Boaz, I want you to marry me for you are a family redeemer. This wasn't supposed to happen. Right? And as the, the ancient reader, the Jewish reader, would be reading this, and they're just like, what is she doing? Like, she's ruining this. This, is, this, this. this isn't right. right. This is completely countercultural. Like, like, this is improper. It sounds kind of like a scandal, and, and you know, maybe she gets a small bit of break because she's foreign, and maybe she doesn't know what she's doing. But, but like, like from the Jewish standpoint, it's like, man, here's a younger person proposing to an older person. 
not supposed to happen. Here's a poor widow proposing to, like, the field's owner. Here's a Moabite woman proposing to an Israelite man. Like, this is not normal. It's the exact opposite of the cultural norms. And so everybody's waiting to see what Boaz is going to say. How is he going to respond? I mean, this, like, she has just sunk herself. Like, this is not good. She shot herself. And this is what he says in verse 10. He says, Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, I just want to camp out on this for just a second and point something out. It's Valentine's Day, right? Come on, you guys are all asleep. All right. It's a weird story. This is one to stay awake for. Um, I just want to point out, all right, no, I just, here we get a good glimpse of what true love looks like, okay? Notice Boaz's response. Okay, his response is, why? So she proposes to him, and he's just like, why? He's saying, hey, you could have gone after the younger guy. You could have gone after a richer guy. And so we look at Boaz's attitude, and his attitude is, Ruth, you are too good for someone like me. Right? Ruth, you are better than what I deserve. I'm not good enough for you. Now remember, by the way, we looked at last week when when Boaz tells Ruth that he'd take care of her, remember the first day of harvest, the first day that they meet, the first, the first date, you know, that type of thing. Remember what Ruth's response was in verse, or chapter 2, verse 10? It says, she fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Right? Remember Ruth's response? Ruth's response to Boaz and his kindness was like, like, Why? She's she's like, I'm a nobody. Like, I'm a poor widow. I'm a foreigner. Like, why do you you care about me? Or why would you show kindness to me? And Ruth's attitude is the same attitude that we see Boaz have here, where she's just like, you are too good for someone like me. You're better than what I deserve. And that's what true biblical love looks like, where both the man and the woman view the other as so much better than themselves. Now, too many times we see marriages, <laughs> I see marriages where it's like people go in, uh, you know, they're getting ready to get married, and, um, and one, a lot of times it's both of them, but it's like, you know, they look at their, their spouse or their future spouse, and they're just like, you know, I really, I love them, and I really like them, and I care about them, and, but there's just a few things that, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix and, uh, you know, I got our whole lives to fix it, but we're going we're gonna to fix this. We're going to make, make this person better. If you go into a marriage like that, let me just say this. You're going to have a miserable marriage, okay? It's just going to be terrible. Right? It's not going to be fun. You're going to be miserable until that marriage ends or somebody dies, okay? Which I guess is when marriage ends. So anyway, um, so, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just not good. Too many times people do that. Right? Too many times people, they're in their marriage and they view themselves as so much better than the other person. It's the exact opposite of what we see here with Ruth and Boaz in this love story, okay? It's the exact opposite, right? When you have the viewpoint of, hey, my spouse is too good for someone like me, when you have the viewpoint of, hey, my spouse is better than what, so much better than what I deserve, that changes how that changes how you guys interact. I mean, it changes everything. It changes the way you treat the other person. It changes what you do for the other person. It changes the way that you talk to the other person. It changes the way that you react to the other person. It changes everything. That was free, okay? 
That's because it's Valentine's Day, so I just want to throw that out there. Right? And we see that here, and it's a great example for us. So Boaz keeps talking. So he's got this awesome attitude that we should emulate in our own lives, but Boaz keeps talking. He says, now, don't be afraid, my daughter, because I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town, Bethlehem, know that you are a woman of noble character. He's just like, man, everybody knows of your reputation. Everybody knows how humble you are, Ruth, and everybody knows how much you have served your mother-in-law, Naomi. And it's just crazy. She's, he's like, everybody knows. This is, you know, and I will do for you, you know, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Next verse. He says, and yes, that it is true that I am a family redeemer. And at this point, everything seems to be going good. Like, everything is going perfectly. Even though Ruth didn't stick to Naomi's plan, she kind of went rogue there for a little bit. But, uh, but up to this point, it's like everything is set. But then he says, but there is actually a redeemer who's actually closer than I am. So someone who's more qualified than me. He says, stay here tonight. All right? I don't want you out there. I don't want you to, you know, it's not safe necessarily tonight. You just stay here, go to sleep. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I promise you, I give you my word, Ruth, that I will marry you and I will take care of you. And now lie down until morning. So he promises her this. But, I mean, for Ruth to hear this, it's a huge letdown. I mean, she's just like, he's like, hey, there's another guy. And she's just like, oh. I didn't know that. Naomi didn't seem to know that. But Boaz is like, but I'm going to try to figure it out. Let's just see, let's just see what happens. All right? I'm sure that, uh, that either of them, you know, I'm sure they both weren't getting much sleep that night. And I don't mean that in a bad way. All right? I mean that in, they're both like, probably both of them, their minds are racing. You know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, I'm sure Ruth, she's laying there. She's just like, oh, man, all right, who's this other guy? You know, what's he going to think of this? Like, in the next 24 hours, I'm going to find out who I'm going to be married to, okay? I mean, it's just crazy to think like that. She's, she's nervous about it, I'm sure. She's probably not sleeping at all. And then Boaz, he's laying there, and he's just like, oh, man. I mean, this, you know, Ruth wants to marry me, and, and he's a little bit older than her. And, and, you know, to him, he's just like, why would she, why would she want me? And, and then he's like, and what about this guy? Like, yeah, what if he wants to marry her? And, and he's just trying to figure all this out. And he's just like, you know, wow, this is, this is crazy. And so I'm sure they're both just, their minds are just racing. And then early in the morning, Boaz turns to Ruth. And basically he just says, hey, let's just keep this whole thing for now between us. All right? Don't tell anybody. Why don't you go? You just leave while it's still dark so that no one's going to know that we were here and we were together. And so Ruth goes, and she walks home, and she walks in the door, and uh, Naomi's there. Now, I picture this, and I don't know this because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I picture this. You know how it was like in high school when your parents told you to be home at a certain time, and then you're super late? Like you blow that time out of the, out of the water, and then you're trying to like sneak in the house. You're trying, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so yeah, you guys were bad too. Okay, so you like... Open up the door handle, you know, put the key in. You're trying to be as quiet as possible. The door's kind of creaking. You're trying to make it, you know, you shut the door and you try to sneak off to bed. You know, and my guess is, you know, I would like to think that maybe Ruth's kind of doing that. Like, she's been gone for a long time, all right? I don't know if she was supposed to be there all night, and she was. And so she walks in, she kind of sneaks in, and there's Naomi waiting. You know, Naomi's just waiting there. She's like, where you been? You were gone a long time. All right, what's going on here? And actually, in the, in the Hebrew, she's literally, she says, who's, or what's your name? Or who are you? 
right? Meaning, do you belong to Boaz? Like, are you, are you married to Boaz or not? What's going, what's going on here? And, um, and Ruth, she tells her everything that has happened. And, uh, and this is how Naomi responds in verse 18. Naomi, she says, hey, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go. For I promise you that he won't rest unless he resolves this today. She's like, I know Boaz. Boaz is going to figure this thing out. She is confident. Now, let's fast forward just a few hours in, the, in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Boaz went to the gate of the town, Bethlehem, and, she, and he sat down there. And soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Now, this is the same language that we've been seeing throughout the whole book where it's like, soon, by chance, the family redeemer happened to come by. And Boaz says, he says, hey, you, come over here and sit down. And so he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders, and he said, hey, I want you guys, I want you guys to come over here. I want you guys to sit around, all right, sit around in a circle, and they all sit down. And probably um, what, uh, what all the townspeople are just thinking of, they're like, oh, man, there's about to be some major legal transaction that's about to ha- happen here. Like, all the elders are here. It's between Boaz and this other guy. We don't even have his name. And so probably as Boaz is sitting there, probably a, a small crowd gathers around just to see what's going on. And he said to the Redeemer, he says, hey, Naomi, you know her. Uh, she's returned from the territory of Moab and is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother, her husband, dead husband, Elimelech. Okay? So he just tells her, he's like, hey, she's selling her property. Do you want it or not? Okay? And this is huge because property back then, it wasn't like you could just go out and buy a field. You couldn't go out and buy property. All the property in Israel was allotted to different family, different tribes and then different clans and then different families. Okay? So it's not like you could just get more property. You're kind of stuck with what you had. And so this was huge. This was rare. And so this is like something that no guy is just going to, you know, let pass by him. Um, here he's saying, you know, Boaz is like, here's a piece of property that you as a family redeemer, as a close relative, are eligible to buy. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no? And if you don't want to buy it, I'm next in line. I'm going to buy it. It's almost like he hands this dude, right, this like, this property on like a golden platter. Okay, he's like, hey, do you want to be the redeemer or not? Here it is. It looks pretty good. And as the reader, what we're supposed to be thinking is, what the heck is Boaz doing? Right? He, this is how you play. Like, like this is terrible. What, what, what's going on here? But it turns out that he actually has thought this through. So this is how the guy answers. The guy says, yeah, I'll redeem it. No problem. I'll buy that property. Right? The, guy's, the guy's in. Next verse, it says, then Boaz said, he says, well, by the way, there's a one minor tiny little detail that I forgot to mention. And that is on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you actually will require Ruth the Moabitess. It's interesting that he throws that in there. He's like, the foreigner, the girl from Moab, you'll have to, um, you, you will acquire her, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. Basically, he's like, oh, yeah, and when you buy this property, not only, you know, will you get, uh, you'll actually have to take care of Naomi, the bitter, you know, the bitter mother-in-law, which is never fun. Um, but you'll also have to, you also have to provide a son for Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband, okay? You have to provide a son for that, for that family. And all of a sudden, he's just like, whoa, this is getting a little more detailed and personal than I, than I, than I realized. I thought I was just buying land, but now I got to provide a son for, for this woman. I got I to gotta marry her. You know, I'm not so sure I want to do this. And so the guy responds this way in verse 6. He says, the Redeemer replied. He says, I'm out, all right? He's like, I can't redeem it myself, or I'm going to ruin my own inheritance, 
Right? What this guy is doing, and this is, this is interesting here, he's thinking this purely for financial reasons. Okay? Buying a piece of property, again, is, is huge, and being able to do that was very, very, very unique. Um, and so this guy, you know, he could probably scrape together enough money to buy this land just because it's such a unique thing. He wouldn't be able to pass it up. But then with this whole Ruth thing and where he would have to provide a son for Ruth's dead husband, right, he, he was going to have to care. He's going to have to care for Ruth and Naomi and their kids um, for, you know, for a few years. And so that's going to cost him more. But not only that, he's going to pay Naomi for this land. And then in like 14 years, back then it was earlier, you know, when this kid becomes a man in their eyes, now we look at 18. But 14 years from there, he's like, then I have to give this land to this kid. And he's technically, legally not going to belong to me, even though technically he is my biological son. All right, so he's just like, whoa, this is going to mess up everything. All right, I'm going to buy this land for all this money, and then I have to give the land away in just, in just a few years. He's like, this, you know, this, isn't, this deal doesn't sound so good to me. Right? And so he's just like, you know what? Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem. He's like, I, you do it, okay? You take care. You marry Ruth. You buy the land. All right, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not doing the deal anymore. And so exa- that's exactly what we see Boaz does. Boaz takes Ruth. He marries her. Um, we see this in uh, verse 13. It says, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her. Interesting that God did this. The writer's trying to get us to understand that this was totally a God thing, right? Ruth has been, she hasn't been able to have kids. She was married for a decade. She wasn't able to have kids. But now all of a sudden, God has enabled her to have a child, and she gave birth to a son. Right? God has been orchestrating this whole story together. And really, that's the whole point of the story. Right? The story starts with Elimelech and Naomi disobeying God, which happens to lead to death. And Naomi, you know, at the beginning of the story, she's just like, where is God? Like, why would God allow all this to happen in my life? God's not here. God, you know, this is, was he, he forget about me? He ignoring me? He choosing not to see me? What's going on here? And that's how it starts off. But the author's trying to get us to see this phrase that we see really only once in the book, but we see it, it hinted at several other times, this just so happens. But the author's trying to get us to see that God is working here. Right? It just so happens that Naomi's sons have no kids. They've been married for 10 years. They still have no kids. It just so happens that, uh, that they both end up dying. And it just so happens that God provides food for Israel. It just so happens that Naomi hears about the food. It just so happens that she chooses to go back home. It just so happens that Ruth chooses to go with her, even when she begs Ruth not to. And it just so happens that they go at the beginning of the wheat harvest. And it just so happens that Ruth asks Naomi to, to pick wheat. And it just so happens that Ruth stumbles onto Boaz's field. And it just so happens that Boaz shows up on the same day. And it just so happens that Boaz notices her. And it just so happens that Boaz already heard of Ruth's great reputation. It just so happens that Boaz is a family redeemer. And it just so happens that Naomi has a plan to set up Boaz and Ruth to set them up together. But it just so happens that another guy happens to be first in line. But then it just so happens that that guy becomes uninterested. And it just so happens that Boaz is interested. And it just so happens that they get married. And it just so happens that now Ruth is able to all of a sudden get pregnant. Right, it's just thing after thing after thing. And the author's trying to get us to understand, saying, hey, look how God is in all of the tiny little details. 
It's a story that begins with pain. But God is working in it. And at the end of the story, we see that Boaz and Ruth are happily married. And even Naomi, the bitter old woman, is married or is happy. She's not married. She is happy. In verse 16, we see that it says, Naomi, she took that child and she placed him on her lap and became a mother to him. She got her family back in a sense. And the neighbor women... They said, hey, a son has been born to Naomi. Hooray, they're, they're praising her. They're, they're rejoicing with her. And it says, and they named that son, they named that kid Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The author kind of ends the story and is just like, oh, by the way, there's this key piece of information here. That Boaz and Ruth, they become the great-grandparents of the future king of Israel, King David. I mean, here at the end, it's like, yeah, it just so happens that Obed grows up and has a son named Jesse. And then it just so happens that Jesse grows up and has a son named David. And it just so happens that David grows up and becomes the king of Israel. And then hundreds of years later, it just so happens that Jesus is born from that line. Our Savior. Someone who would not come to just save Israel, but to save the entire world. And 2,000 years ago, he paid everything for us, everything that we've ever done wrong. I mean, that's really what the Bible is, by the way. The Bible is just a broad story of how God has fixed our sin problem. And here in this one tiny short little book, what God does is he kind of zooms in on this small situation. He lets us zoom in on the small situation, and we find out that God is in the details. And by the way, let me just say this. He's in the details of your life, too. Like, he's in the details of your life, too. I think a lot of times we view God as somebody who, you know, he just doesn't care. Like, he's that old man sitting up on his throne up in heaven, and he knows we exist, but he's not, like, you know, in it. He's not, like, working on our life necessarily, but he could, you know, if he wanted to, but he's just not very invested, and he's just not very interested. But we see in the New Testament that God promises us that if we have a relationship with him, that God promises to use all things, whether bad things or good things, that he promises to use all things for good. And in the Old Testament, we get to watch how God uses messed up people to accomplish his plan, and he still does that today, even when we make the wrong turn, right? Even when we do the wrong thing. may not always be pleasant for us, Right? I mean, look how the story starts with, with Naomi. Right? She makes a bunch of bad decisions. Right? Her husband makes bad decisions. She makes bad decisions. I mean, they take the wrong term, but God still used it to do great things. Because our dumb little wrong sinful decisions, they don't wreck his plan. Because he's bigger than us. And really, that's just what I want to leave with you really with the story is that God cares. God not only knows your life, chooses to know, but he cares about your life. And he's in the details. And maybe you can't see every little thing. Maybe you can't see how he's going to work it out or how, you know, how it's going to be or how he could possibly use this terrible thing in my life for good. But he is, whether we see it or not. Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, they didn't know that their great-grandson was going to be king. They didn't know that this Messiah was going to come in their line. They didn't know. But God used it. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for this story. And, uh, and we thank you for, for caring enough for sending your son to die for us, Lord. Uh, God, help us 
to just remember that you care about our lives and you're in the details of everything that you, you don't only just happen to know everything, but you care to know everything about our lives. You know more about us than we know about ourselves. And you don't have to. That's just what you choose to. And God, we thank you. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.